Well, please open your Bibles to John chapter 8, starting with verse 31. John chapter 8, as we continue our series on life from the Gospel of John. Well, the title of today's message is Free Indeed. Free Indeed, from John 8, verses 31 through 59. I would say a very appropriate topic and passage as we celebrated yesterday, our nation's Independence Day, 4th of July. So appropriate timing that we've come to this part of Scripture this morning. And I can definitely say this morning that I am grateful Heed and all that we can meet here publicly this morning, that we can meet corporately without fear this morning, and that we can gather, that we as a people can freely exercise our faith, that we can choose where we're to live, that we can choose and elect our governing officials, that we can choose our vocation, yes, even choose our spouse as well. But here's a question that we're going to address this morning. How much do we really know about biblical freedom? Biblical freedom. Are we really freer than those Christians living in Saudi Arabia? Are we freer than those Christians living in the Islamic Republic of Iran right now? Are we as Christians, right here, truly freer than those Christian North Koreans right now who are living in what they call re-socialization camps, i.e. concentration camps, where they are bound to slave labor, where they are forbidden to even raise their head heavenward without being beaten. Those Christians who live off shards of Scripture they keep in their pocket. Those Christians who sing amazing grace, but can only do so in their heads. Do we know more about freedom than those Christians who live in Sudan, who have no home, who have no clean water, who live as pilgrims in a desert wasteland, but yet will not bow their knee to any Islamic warlord. Are we freer this morning? See, I'm up here this morning because I believe Scripture this morning proclaims that there was a freedom, a freedom more precious than the freedom of nations and its citizens. Listen to this, church. A freedom in which no earthly ruler can grant and no earthly dictator can take away. No country can secure this freedom, and no terrorist group can kill this freedom. That's the type of freedom we're talking about this morning. It's the type of freedom that Christ came and can only give to give. And it's offered to us in the word of God this morning, in the word of Christ. Let us now hear, let us now intently listen to this word that we might be set free. Romans 8, reading from Romans 8, verse 31 and following. As we continue our discourse from the Feast of Tabernacles, 
Jesus speaking. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, You will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the whole works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works of your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say to you that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old. And you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. 
But Jesus himself hid himself and went out of the temple. Let us pray. Oh Lord, this is a long and weighty passage. Lord, I ask this morning that you would rivet these truths to our hearts, that we would hold on, abide to them this, and abide in them this morning. Oh, Father, I ask that you would become greater even in our eyes this morning. Father, despite the distractions and the heat, may we be more aware of you this morning than our discomforts. Lord, grant us freedom this morning. Grant me freedom to preach as we be consistent with the word that I am preaching. Grant those who are hearing this morning the freedom to hear, not just to be aware of their sin and sin of the past, but be more aware of your forgiveness, your grace, and the power to change. And Lord, for those who have never experienced or tasted this freedom this morning, for which this is an alien thought and concept, oh Lord, would you grant freedom today in the hearts of men and women and youth, we pray. Amen. Amen. The word this morning, church, is simply this. Be set free. Be free. So the question that confronts us this morning is, are you free? You see, in the text that we just read, Christ is speaking to those who, quote-unquote, believed in him. These were people who thought they were free. But here's the irony. They were blinded to their very own spiritual state. They were blinded to their very own slavery. It becomes evident in their very response to Christ that they are not true disciples. They are not abiding in Christ's word. They don't know the truth. And in fact, they are not free. We read in verse chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But look at verse 33. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been a slave to anyone. How is that you say you will become free? Jesus, in this passage, is about his business once again of unveiling his disciples' blindness and showing them their true spiritual state. He is committed to showing them who they are, their slavery, and they don't take too kindly to it. If I had to characterize the tone of this passage, I would say that it is a verbal boxing match from the outset. Notice the abrupt exchanges between Christ and his purported followers. Notice the tone of the text. Jesus is holding no punches. And the Jews, and what could only amount to what appears to be a low blow, calls Jesus a bastard. Verse 41. But they don't stop there. They call him a Samaritan, the ultimate racial slur for any Jew. And lastly, they call him a demoniac. You have a demon. These are fighting words that we are witnessing right here. My friends, there are some of you this morning who are slaves. But you know what? You don't see it. 
you don't even know it. You think you are free, but even the mere suggestion that you might be enslaved to someone or to something causes your pride to well up, much like those of the Jews, those who reported to believe in Christ. And there is offense. You may say, I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I'm the captain of my own soul. And yet Christ is to say this morning, no, you're not. Jesus has come to set you free. There are some of you this morning, I think most of you here, who have been set free. You are Christians. But perhaps you are still acting like slaves this morning as those in bondage. And Jesus, through his word right here, wants to remind you of your freedom, that you would truly live as his disciples. But first, if we're to be free, we must see slavery for what it is. First point in your notes. You see, to understand the nature of the freedom that we are talking about in this passage, we must first understand the nature of our slavery. And that is bondage to sin. John eight thirty four. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So what is a slave? Who is a slave? Took out my handy-dandy Webster's 1828 dictionary this week, and let me give you two definitions of a slave. Number one, a person who is wholly subject to the will of another, whose person and services are wholly under the control of another. Here's the second definition of a slave. One who has lost the power of resistance. One who has lost the power of resistance. You see, in our natural, in our sinful, in our fallen states, we are sinners. We are born into sin. We are slaves of sin. We have an irrepressible will to rebel against God. Not only that, we have an inability, an inability to truly resist sin and thus offend God. You see, contrary to all political correctness and movies and songs, we are not born free. We are born as slaves into sin. But it's also true that when we continue in sin, right, when we continue to practice sin, habitual sin, that we become enslaved to sin as well. I think Christ has both these meanings intended here in verse 34 when he says, he who commits sin is a slave, that we are enslaved to sin. But both you and I know, if we're really honest, our heart of hearts, that sin enslaves. And I think we all, to some degree, know, do we not, the power of addiction. Right, whether it be alcohol, drugs, lustful images, gambling, lying, or even something as harmless as chocolate or candy. You see, sin unchecked, sinful indulgence is enslaving. Why? This is how sin works. Sin promises you and me a satisfaction a solace, a resolution that it cannot and can never deliver 
upon. It cannot provide what it offers and what it advertises. I remember the prank we used to play as children. Oh, many years ago, someone would be about to sit down. And right before that person sat down, we removed the chair from underneath their bottom. And their tush went crashing down. I remember it happening to me in Sunday school many years ago. Not only did I fall for the trick, but I landed on a pair of very sharp scissors. Pierced my pants. Yes, spent the day in the hospital. I don't know if you remember that, but I still remember it well. She is nodding. Yes. Friends, that is like sin. Sin offers you the chair to sit down in. And once you're about to sit down, it removes it from underneath you. And you come crashing down. But not just that. Sin offers you the chair once again. And you fall for the same trick. Pardon the pun. Over and over again. And it just doesn't lead to more hospital visits. No, it's much worse than that. It will eventually lead to the destruction of our souls, of spiritual death. You see, sin is stupidity. Sin is insanity. Sin is slavery. Sin is slavery. Oh, but it isn't in there. Even when you begin to recognize the deception of sin, even when you begin to recognize that sin is destructive, Even then, you can't in your flesh, in yourself, extinguish sin. It's like trying to blow out trick candles on a birthday cake. You know how that goes. You blow hard, all the candles are extinguished. Or so you think, at least for a second or two. Then, they're right back there. So what do you do? You try to blow a little harder, right? You got spittle drooling down your chin. You're you're huffing and huffing. You think you got it. And they're back up. And the candles just mock you. They have no mercy. That too is a picture of the enslavement of sin. You see, sin shows us that we need more than stronger lungs. We need more than a stronger bottom. We need a savior. We need a heart change. Our slavery to sin shows us that we are in desperate need of a Savior who will free us from that bondage of sin. You see, that is why Jesus did not allow, throughout the Gospel of John, he did not allow himself to be reduced to merely a political Messiah. See, what the people needed that he was coming to, they did not need a new ruler of the land. They needed a new ruler of the heart. And that is what Christ came to bring. Why? Because slavery to sin is about slavery to a master. And that master, as we see in the text, is the devil himself. That's right. The ultimate source of evil in the heart goes back to devil. It goes back to Satan. You see, slavery that we're speaking about here is bondage to sin Yes. Number two, it's bondage to Satan. Remember our first definition of a slave? I'll read it to you again. Number one, a person who is wholly subject to the will 
of another. Who's that another? It's the devil. In our text today, Jesus calls the devil the father of those who don't believe, those who are truly not his disciples. We read in John 8, 44. Let's listen to it again to have the full impact of these words. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. A clear reference there to Genesis 3, the fall of man, and has nothing to do with truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, the professed followers of Christ in this passage are not children of God. They're children of the devil. Their will is enslaved to their father, the devil's desires. Well, who is the devil? We read right here, the devil is a murderer from the beginning. Many of you know the story. It goes back to the Garden of Eden, right? Genesis 3. Oh, speaking to Adam and Eve, God said you, you can't eat of that tree in the middle of the garden? No, no, no. You won't truly die. What happens? Adam and Eve partake. Sin enters man. Satan has his first murder. And so it continues throughout history. Satan is a murderer. Therefore, Jesus said, because your father is a murderer, you do not love me. Verse 42. Because your father, the devil, is a murderer, you want to kill me. Look at verse 40. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Furthermore, not only is the devil a murderer, the devil is a liar, as just alluded to. He is the father of all lies. Because, he says, your father is the devil, you have no room for my words in your heart. Verse 37. Because the devil is a liar and he is your father, you were unable, unable to hear what I'm saying to you. Verse 43. Because the devil is a liar and he is your father, you refuse to believe in me, even though you can't prove me guilty of any wrong doing. That's verses 45 and 46. As sobering as that is, let me give you what I think is the most sobering statement found in verse 45 of chapter 8. When Christ says, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe in me. Because I tell you the truth. Now, I would have thought he would have said, in spite of the truth, you don't believe in me. That's what the text says. You understand what's going on here? Because it is the very truth that I speak, you cannot hear it. Because your father is not my father. Your father is the father of lies. The devil. Whew. Yeah. Now that is sobering. So what's the moral, church, of all this? You and I, each one of us here, will act according to your paternity. That is, you will act according to who your father is. You got two choices here. Your paternity is either Satan or your Savior. It's one of the two. 
It's either or. You are either a child of the devil or a child of God. There is no such thing as an independent, autonomous person. We like to think so, but there is not. I recall when I went to school in London, England, seeing this one particular man each week. He used to roam the streets of London, and he he wore a sandwich board. You know what those are? It's a board on the front of your chest and a board in the back. And it had these big letters emblazoned on it. Christian Atheist. I said, hmm, I kept seeing this guy. So eventually, I wanted to talk to this wacko. I mean, this guy. But he, he was pretty strange. I said, explain to me. Christian Atheist. I'm curious. You see, this man firmly believed he said in Jesus. But yet, he said, I can live independently. As if there is no God. There is no morality, and there is no constraints on my conscience. Church, it doesn't work. Maybe you've tried it. It's a charade. This free, independent, autonomous person who believes in everything, but answers to no one, it's a myth. It's our culture today. Oh, I believe in spirituality. I'm spiritual. Whatever you believe, sure, I can believe that but you are accountable to no one, as if we're independent and free. Oh, we are not free. We are not free. That person who claims that has never existed and never will. To quote one commentator, Bruce Milne, we are radically, incurably, and eternally dependent beings who were made to serve. We will either serve the devil's desires, which leads to sin and death, or God's desires, which leads to righteousness and life eternal. You write down Romans 6.16 for you. I don't have time for that, a reference to that statement right there. So who? Who are we going to serve? It's the difference between slavery and bondage. It's the difference between bondage to sin and freedom from sin. And the choice is clear, as we see in your second point. See the Savior for who he is. Why? Because he is our freedom. I love this verse, John 8, 36. Can't read it enough. So, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Free indeed. Free from what? Oh, so much. Free from guilt. The guilt of your sin. Freedom from the bondage and slavery of sin, free from death, spiritually speaking, free from the devil himself. Ah. But not are we only free from, we're also free to. We are now free to obey God, to obey, to hold on, to remain in Christ's words, and thus be his disciple. So we are free from, and we are free to to obey God as our master and our father. You see to quote D.A. Carson, true freedom is the liberty to do what we ought. The liberty, the freedom to do what we ought to do. It is our savior who rescues us from the heartfelt desire, that habitual desire to sin. It is our Savior who transformed that will to sin, 
transforms that will to sin into a will not to sin. That is the Savior's work. And that is the freedom of which we speak. We cannot do it, can we, in our own willpower. We can only do it in Christ's power. Because if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. How can this be, church? How can that be? What is the basis of Christ's authority that he can make such a statement? Because he is God. He is the ruler of all. Oh, I want you to see this. We're now coming to the punchline, the very basis of our hope this morning. Listen, church, nowhere in Scripture is the basis for Christ's authority, his claim to deity, more clearly stated by him than right here in the Scripture that we have before us. Oh, we've got to read it again. The closing verses of our passage today. We'll start with verse 56 of chapter 8. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let's just back up. We've got to take this a little slowly here, okay? Verse 56. What is this day that Abraham saw and rejoiced in so many years prior? It was the day of the Lord. It was the coming of Jesus. It was his incarnation. So how did he see that? How did he know that? We learn from Scripture that Abraham embraced by faith the very promises, the very covenant that God had given him. What was those promises that God gave Abraham over a thousand years prior? That through his offspring, the nations would be blessed. Through his seed, through his children, would all nations be blessed. And Jesus is here saying in this scripture, verse 56, I, in the fulfillment of the covenant of Abraham, I, in the fulfillment of Abraham's hopes and dreams, the day of the Lord has come, and I am here. Oh, but it gets better than that. Oh. See, verse 57, the Jews, the disciples, they didn't get it. And so Christ proclaims the line that has echoed down through the centuries when he says, I am. Notice, he didn't say, before Abraham was, I was. He's not merely saying that he existed before Abraham. He's not merely saying that he is older than Abraham. No, he is saying, I have eternally existed. I am God. In this stunning self-reference, Jesus is making an unmistakable reference to what? Maybe you remember it. God's own self-disclosure. Self-disclosure. To whom? To Moses. Way back in excuse me, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. When Abraham says, in the burning bush. So who are you? Who should I tell the people you are that are sending me? And he said, I am who I am. Christ is saying, yeah, I'm that I am. That's me. I am here. The great I am. Whew. Man, I 
feel like a good Pentecostal, Pentecostal pastor here today. Got my hanky out. Excuse me. Whew. All right. Jesus is saying, I am God. I am the deliverer of the Israelites who were enslaved in Egypt. I am the deliverer of every man, woman, and child who is enslaved to sin and death. I am the bondage breaker. I am the ruler of all. I am the conquering ruler of sin, of death, and of Satan. I am the giver of life. I am your freedom. I am your God. In Jesus' audience, the Jews, they got it loud and clear. Do you? You see, this wasn't a veiled reference. The disciples, the Jews, weren't scratching their heads when Christ spoke and said, boy, I wonder what that means. What could he be saying? What do they do? They pick up stones to kill him. Why? Because that was prescribed in the law of anyone who was a blasphemer. They knew quite well what Christ was saying when he said, I am. They just didn't believe it. Oh, they knew, but they didn't believe it. The meaning is not ambivalent here. There's no question what he's saying here. It is clear. It is loud. I am God. But they didn't believe. They didn't hold on. They didn't remain in Christ's words. All the words that we've been talking about up to this point, that I'll preach on the last two weeks in his discourse, they didn't believe it. They heard it, but they didn't believe it. They did not abide in God's words, in Christ's words, and thus they were not truly his disciples. But friends, this, sh- this claim that he makes shouldn't have been a shock to any of his followers. In the very same speech, this discourse, which is studied last week, Christ said in John 8, backing up to verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And then carrying on to verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, that term is used for Christ's crucifixion and resurrection and ascension, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Ah, let's sum up these wonderful truths. What is Christ saying? He's saying, I am the great I am. I am the eternally existent God. I am your deliverer. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. He is saying, I am the one who can deliver you, what? From the slavery of sin and death. That's John 8, 24. He is saying, I am the great I am, who was crucified and resurrected, i.e. lifted up for sinners like you and me. John 8, 28. I am the one who paid the penalty, the punishment for your sins on the cross. And I'm the one who was raised, lifted up to new life. Why? That you can be set free from sin. That you can live eternally with me. You see what the connection here? It goes back to Christ. It goes back to the cross. It goes back to the gospel by which we are set free. So are you free? I mean really free this morning. Free from the enslavement of idolatrous sin. Free wholeheartedly to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want to take some time to tease this out in the remaining portion of our message. I want to apply this to our own hearts. Everyone here, 
I believe at a crowd this size, there's most likely some right here this morning who aren't free. And you desperately need an emancipation proclamation to be declared this morning. You need to be set free from the guilt of your sin. You know what I'm talking about. Also the very power of your sin as well. So you can be set free this morning by Christ's word. It's the word we're giving to you this morning. Verse 38. The Son sets you free. You will be free indeed. You see, the whole Bible can be summed up in the very two points in your notes this morning. The first main point, that we in our sinful state, in our human state, are all sinners, helplessly enslaved to sin. That's the message of the Bible. But number two, Jesus, the God-man, died on the cross for your sins. And he is your only hope and savior. There you go. The Bible summed up right there for you in this text. This is Christ's word to you. If you're a slave this morning, God is opening your eyes to see your blindness. You can place your trust in the Son, Jesus, your deliverer, and you will be saved from the very combination of sin that plagues you, that's been plaguing you for years. You can be liberated from the enslaving power of sin that has gripped you for so long. You can be set free this morning. There's a second category of you. You have been set free. You are a Christian this morning. But perhaps, even many of you, you're not experiencing that freedom. Either the freedom from the guilt of sin, or number two, that freedom over the power of sin. Actually, I believe the two go together. We're going to put up a quote there on the overhead for you. God wants to set you free, first and foremost, from the guilt of sin. I want us to hear this long quote. It is worth it from Milton Vincent. Please catch this. As long as I am stricken with the guilt of my sins, I will be captive to them and will often find myself recommitting the very sins about which I feel most guilty. The devil is well aware of this fact. He knows that if I can keep he can keep me tormented by sin's guilt. He can dominate me with sin's power. The gospel, however, slays sin at the root point and thereby nullifies sin's power over me. The forgiveness of God made known to me through the gospel liberates me from sin's power because it liberates me first from It's guilt. That is beautiful. My friends, that is the gospel. There is no more guilt this morning. No more fear of punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's a liberating truth. The law of justice of God that demands that I, that you, be punished for your sins also protects me from being punished again. Christ paid the penalty and punishment in full for every one of our sins. There is no double jeopardy in God's courts. He will not try you again. He cannot try you again. 
for you've been tried sentence, and that sentence has been placed upon the Savior, and you go free. And that is true for every Christian here this morning. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed, indeed, forevermore. Are you free this morning? Are you free to sin this morning without condemnation? Are you free thus to obey with all your heart? I believe you can be. See, fear of sinning and condemnation, it's no motive for obedience, is it? In fact, it will not lead to freedom, only to more guilt and more sin. Why? Because all your attention will be placed and focused on your sin rather than your Savior. Some of you this morning maybe like the athlete. See, you're in the game. You're playing the game. But you are so afraid to mess up. The first mistake, and you're convinced. The coach is going to put you on the bench. And you're going to ride that bench for the entire season or playing career. You know what? You're playing scared. You're playing stiff. You are stiffer than me on a dance floor. That's how stiff you are. Yeah, that's stiff. And God wants to loosen you up this morning to play freely without the fear of condemnation or guilt. Ah. See, if it's not the case, you're not free. You're not playing to win. You're just playing not to lose. I think you know how that goes. Playing not to lose, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, my friends. You're living your life as if everything's a test. And God is your schoolmaster. You know what? You're, t- you're afraid to fail. You're afraid to fail God. You're afraid to fail your husband. You're afraid to fail your children. You know what? You're angry about it too. You're anxious. You're uptight. And you're not free. Your joy is sapped. That's not freedom. That's misery. If that does describe you in some way or the other this morning, I don't believe you're abiding in Christ's words. You're not living under the influence of grace. You're not living as one who has been set free. Perhaps this type of freedom, this scripture that I'm talking about, is somewhat foreign to you, living under the influence of grace. I mean, you've heard it before. I'm sure you've heard it up here before. But you haven't really experienced it. I believe it can perhaps best be illustrated by a slave, a freed slave, which describes every Christian. A story is told by Abraham Lincoln. Let me read it to you. Abraham Lincoln went to a slave market. There he noted a young, beautiful African-American woman being auctioned off to the highest offer. He bid her, he bid on her, and won. He could see the anger in the young woman's eyes and could imagine what she was thinking. Another white man who will buy me, use me, and then discard me. As Lincoln walked off with his quote-unquote property, he turned to the woman and said, You're free. Yeah, what does that mean? She replied, It means you're free. Does that mean I can say whatever I want to say? Yes, replied Lincoln, smiling. 
It means you can say whatever you want to say. Does it mean, she asks incredulously, incredulously, that I can be whatever I want to be? Yes, you can be whatever you want to be. Does it mean, the young woman said hesitatingly, that I can go wherever I want to go? Yes, it means you are free and can go wherever you want to go. Then, said the young woman, with tears welling up in her eyes, I think I'll go with you. That, church, is freedom in what he offers you and me. The freedom to obey and the freedom to follow Christ as a true disciple. He offers us the freedom from the guilt of sin. But number two, freedom from the power of sin as well. There may be others of you this morning who are in a little different camp. You don't feel like you have the freedom to obey. So you feel free to sin. What do you mean by free to sin? You're where you're sinning, but you're just, you're just giving in. Like, this is my weakness. I'll always have it, always will. And you're giving in to it. You're giving in to those bursts of anger, that immobilizing fear, that glance on the internet, that third or fourth drink, that perpetual laziness, and procrastination. And this too is wrong. If you're a Christian and you feel powerless over your sins, let me ask this. Are you abiding in Christ's word? Right here, this word this morning. Are you fighting with God's word? That if he has set you free, you are free indeed. Are you holding, clinging on to Christ's words? That you are free. I'm not saying that you won't be tempted. Okay, but rather that God has provided a way of escape for each and every one of you who's a Christian here this morning. What's that way of escape? I believe it's to recognize the lies that the devil is telling you, which he is seizing upon in your craving, idolatrous hearts. When you're about to commit that sin, I believe God's grace is there to tell you, stop, this is rebellion. This is insanity. This is will not satisfy. That's the way of escape. It's his word. It's his promises. Are you listening this morning? Are you remaining holding on to Christ's words and experience his power over sin? On June 4th of this year, much of the world remembered the massacre at Tiananmen Square in China, which occurred 20 years ago on that date. Undoubtedly, many of you remember those scenes. And if you were too young, you've probably seen the video clips by now. I think you know what I'm talking about. Remember that one solitary man who stood in front of a line of rolling takes in the vacated Tiananmen Square. The whole world watched in disbelief as one man squared off against the military might of China. Friends, this is the freedom that I'm talking about. No, no, not political freedom. The freedom to stare down sin, to stare down the evil one, and not give in whatever the cost. Because you have a different father. You have a different master. You have a different ruler. Are you as free as Christian Vegert's grandfather? 
Maybe you remember the story in our Sovereign Grace mission presentation last year about what is happening in Germany. And we hear a pastor's college student named Christian explain the story of his father. This story is still riveted in my head. And if we have the picture, I'll put it up there. If not, don't worry about it. This is a man who lived during Hitler's regime. And we see the picture. This was on the newspaper in Germany in 1936. And the title said, But only one man did not hail Hitler's crew. And you see a circle around one man with his arms folded. That one man was Christian's grandfather, who was a Christian, who would not hail Hitler, who would not salute sin. One man who knew freedom. Where are those men? Where are those women? I believe that's who God is creating here at Palm Vista. Men and women who are free not to sin and that's free to please God. That God is producing here a legacy of freedom. You see, Christian's grandfather passed down this freedom and legacy and his son became a pastor. And now his son's son is also serving God in ministry. His name is Christian. One man willing to stand up and say, I am not a slave to sin but to your father, but to my father in heaven. Not willing to salute sin. I'm not talking about Hitler himself. I'm talking about sin in your own life. So I refuse to salute sexual immorality, greed, and the power of this world. I will not bow my knee because I have a different father. I believe that's what God wants to do in our church, friends. There may be some of you who are just, you're just living in self-pity. So you know what? I haven't seen much victory over my sin. I don't know if I ever will. It's just the way it's going to be. God says, no, it doesn't have to be. Because I have set you free. For you have become dead to sin and alive to him who is in Christ Jesus. Let's live and let's sing about that freedom right now. Let us pray. Oh, Lord. Lord, set us free. I want to be free. I want to be free to worship you. I don't want to be fearing anymore. I want to be liberated freely to experience the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. And I want my brothers and sisters and everyone here to experience that same freedom. I don't want to just talk about it, Lord. I want to experience it with all my heart, every fiber of my being, that I am free to serve you and not bow to knee to the idols of my heart that are weighing for my affections. Father, set us free this morning. For those who don't know Christ as their Savior, set them free this morning. And they can worship for the first time, not simply mouthing the words, but their heart would be responding in faith, saying, I am free. Son, you've set me free. Father, would you do that now? Even as we sing, oh Lord. Listen, may this be a realization. May this be a dawning in our hearts. May these words be true, that we are free. So Lord, inhabit the praise now of your children, we pray. Amen.